Today, we are privileged to have with us Tom Saltino from the Murphy Harps Children's Home up in Cedartown. Tom is the uh, Director of Stewardship there and has been in that role in, for the past four years, coming out of retirement to do so. It may well be that his wife Emily, who is the Vice President uh, of, uh, and Director of Development, uh, could have spurred him to accept that. I, I'm glad that we're having an opportunity to learn something more about Murphy Harps, a, a, a home for uh, severely abused children. And uh, the Global Mission Team has earmarked this, uh, this mission as one of the places where we're increasing our giving for the next year. So, Tom, we're delighted that you are here to tell us about uh, this, and we appreciate your, your info. Thank you so much, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be here and talk to you this morning. If I can just find my notes, I'll be in good shape. Uh, what I want to do is try to, first of all, let me ask you, who has never heard of Murphy Harts? Don't be bashful, because there are plenty of people around that have not heard of Murphy Harts. And that's one of my missions, is to educate people as to Murphy Harts and what we're all about and what we do. There's so many out there that don't know what we do, because Murphy Harts is a Methodist institution with a history that dates back more than 90 years. That's a long time. So we're going to enlighten you today, I hope, and tell you more about it. But it all started in 1914 when Ethel Harps, a young Methodist missionary, traveled to Cedartown, Georgia, and established uh, the McCartney House, which was a uh, settlement house. And she was sent there by the Women's Home Missionary Society to do that, and she set it up and uh, was there about 10 years when a uh, friend of hers, Mr. J.C. Walker, donated a seven-room house and two acres of land on top of a hill in the Mill Village in Cedartown, Georgia. And uh, with the permission of the Women's Home Missionary Society, she took 21 children, which she had at that time, and moved into that house on the hill, and that's where we are now. That started the Ethel Hart's home on top of the hill in Cedartown, Georgia. Now, another person, Sarah Murphy, an African-American woman, also went to Cedartown with the hopes of establishing a school for black African-American children who needed an education. And she got there about, uh, let's see, I think in 1931, and established this home for, for children for an education and uh, found out very quickly that a lot of the parents would drop their children off for an education but they'd never come back. They wouldn't come back and pick them up. So it very quickly became an orphanage from the school. And that's how the Sarah Murphy home was established and uh, when she died in 1961, the uh, women's division of the Methodist Church 
took over the Sarah Murphy home and ran it. And that's how that was established. So in 1984, the two homes merged together with hopes of uh, financially becoming more stable, which uh, has been proven that it did not happen. <laughs> and it still hasn't happened. We are still in dire need of financial help. But that's just the nature of what we do and what we have to do. But the two homes did merge together in 1984. And in 1987, Murphy Harps was issued one of the first licenses by the state of Georgia to become the Residential Treatment Center for Children. And that's where we are right now. We are a Residential Treatment Center for Children. And the children that we receive come to us. They are wards of the state. And they're given to us through the Department of Family and Children's Services. They are of all races, colors, creeds, and genders, and their ages run from 6 to 18. These children are the most neglected and abused children in the state of Georgia. There are no other children any worse off than the children that we receive. It is, I mean, you'd have to go there be there and see what's going on on campus to really know what I'm talking about. These children have been mentally, physically, and sexually abused. They just don't know what kind of life it is other than being abused and neglected. That's all they've ever known. They've been burned, battered, beaten, locked in closets, starved to death, have starved to death. I have one story that I tell about Chad, an eight-year-old boy, who was put in a refrigerator box, cardboard box. His parents would uh, punch holes in that box, and when they smoked marijuana, they would blow marijuana smoke in it to get that child high. That's just one of many, many stories that we run into constantly, and that's why I say that these are severely abused children. I mean, the worst. If we can't turn them around, if we can't do something for them, they go back to the state. Because when they come to us, the wards of the state, the state will take them and put them in a uh, mental hospital, and that's the end of it. There is no other chance. There's no no other place to go. We're the last hope. We're the last stop for them. We, um, our, our main goal is to provide professional care that will turn these children around so they can go back into society and lead normal lives. And at the present time, we have about an 86% success rate of doing just that. So it's working. It takes good hard work, but it's working. People ask me all the time, well, how do you how do you come up with 86%? I mean, you just pull that out of the sky. Because everybody can play around with figures. But we have a four-step process that we look at and come up with a percentage rate. But before I get into that, let me give you some facts about child abuse. 84% of all prison inmates were abused as children. 
One in three girls and one in five boys are socially abused at some time during their childhood. More than 80% of abusers are parents or someone close to the child. One in 13 children with a parent on drugs is physically abused. Now for those four steps. First of all, you have to have a professional staff, and that we do. We have board-certified psychiatrists, psychologists, registered nurses, certified therapists, and these people are on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. When we have, we have a problem, they come running, and they're staffed with us. When they hear about something that's going on, and they get a call, they're there. It's that important. They have to be there. They have to be. Because what they administer is therapy, therapeutic services. That's our number two step. Therapy is the most important service that we provide and the most expensive. But without it, it wouldn't matter. We would just be buildings, housing children. Therapy is what turns these children around and makes them get better. But we couldn't do it without it. I'll give you an example of some of the therapy that we use, of course. You have psychiatric therapy, individual therapy, Skill development therapy, recreational therapy, group therapy, and equine therapy. That's a very important area, equine therapy. The children can really relate to horses. They love them. They like to ride them. They like to groom them. It's so important. And right now, I think we have like six different horses. So all of that ties in together. By the way, our staff members in our programs are professionally trained and they receive individual supervision and these children are under observation 24 hours a day. People ask me, well, how many people have you got employed there? We have a lot, a lot. Because our ratio to children to supervision for every three children we have one supervisor. That's a lot. And if the child is suicidal, and there's a lot of them that are, or a possible runaway, it's a one-on-one supervision. It's something that has to be done. It's uh, if you if you go up there and take a tour to see these children, I mean they look so normal. Everybody is so polite. Uh, they're moving in between the buildings, and they're doing everything normal. But if you'll see some of the keys that go on in, in our buildings, some of the rooms that we have, that's not normal. We have two lockdown areas in the lower and elementary school. <clears throat> These children sometimes just freak out. And we have to put them in there with a supervisor. And there's a big bolt on the front door. That's one of the first things anyone that takes a tour will comment on. What is that room? What's that for? They don't, they don't want to see that. But that's what we have to do. They're put in there, they calm down, 
to the point where we can take them out, take them to the clinic, they get a physical, make sure that they're okay, everything's back to normal again. But that's just some of the things that we deal with. Our third most important factor on our percentage rate is the institution itself. Murphy Harms is certified and accredited every three years by the Joint Commission, which is, a lot of people know it as JCO, Joint Commission for the Accreditation of Healthcare Organizations and Services. It's a nonprofit organization that accredits and certifies more than 15,000 healthcare organizations. And they'll come in and they'll, they do everything. They'll eat in your cafeteria, they go in your kitchen where the food is cooked, they go to the uh, uh, schools, clinics, the cottages, wherever they want to go, they go and they look and they see. And if they don't like what they see, you don't get certified. They have very, very high standards. We, in 2008, were put in the top 10% of all healthcare centers in the United States. That's how good the organization is. That's what we want it to be, top-notch, because we're dealing with children. The fourth thing is foster care. When the children go through our program and they're getting ready to leave our campus, physically leave our campus, we just don't tell them, well, lots of luck, uh, we think you've made it, here's some money, here's a, a bag, and if you're back this way, come and see us. We don't do that. They go to foster care because we want to continue to look at these children, to monitor and evaluate these children after they're off our campus, to make sure that they've made it, to make sure that they, they're on their own. A lot of times they don't. Sometimes they have to come back and go back through the program again. But those four steps is what we look at totally to say, well, the percentages is there. These are the ones that went on. These are the ones that are back in society and are contributing to society on a normal basis again. So. That's how we get our 86%. And I know that question was going to come up, so I wanted to answer very quickly. Because I would ask, because there's so many figures out there that you can uh, you can throw out and sound good. But in fiscal 2011, which ran July 1st, 2010 to June 30th, 2011, Murphy Harp serviced close to 300 children, 289 to be exact. Now we have approximately 60 beds for a residential treatment center. But we also have an outpatient area also. But virtually does the same thing that we do on the residential basis. Except that these children are not as bad, neglected, and abused as the residential people, uh, children are, excuse me. So that's how we get that figure. But that outpatient is for Polk County, which Cedar County is located in, and surrounding counties also. So we have a residential and an outpatient-like situation. But overall, we get our children from the North Georgia Conference. We are part of the North Georgia Conference. 
99% of our children come from the North Georgia Conference area. But we do not shut the door on any children in any place, anywhere in the state of Georgia that needs help. That can be from Savannah, Columbus, doesn't matter. We will take them in. Matter of fact, Sarah Murphy, one of our founders, her motto was, we make room, and we still do. If a child is in need, we want them to be there. They need our services. 41% of these children come from the metropolitan Atlanta area. And 59% come from the balance of the conference. One third of our children are African American, two thirds are Caucasian. 52% are male and 48% are female. Those figures punch away a little bit, but not much. Generally stays at throughout one year to another. But that, again, is how we get our figures. This is where we're set up. 90 plus years of service. We're still struggling, unfortunately. But that's just the nature, I guess. We've gotten so used to it that it's just something we get up and do every every morning and seek additional funding. I'm speaking to groups, trying to educate people as to who we are and what we do. But the best way to really know, again, is to take a tour. I like to see this whole class come up to Murphy Arts and look at our facility and go through it. Talk to those children. Have lunch with those children in the cafeteria. And then you'll understand what I'm talking about more thoroughly. <laughs> there are 1,000 churches in this conference and over 350,000 Methodists. We are the biggest conference in the Methodist Church. A lot of people don't realize it. But we have always helped these children. And as Methodists, I feel like we always will. Because we do count on the conference to help and finance these children get better. So with that said, hopefully you've learned a little bit more about Murphy Parks. I'd like to do now is show a DVD that'll expand a little bit more. And I feel you say all we have to do is press that button. Is that it? <laughs> I hope that it works. We're going to show you a DVD and then we have time for questions. Change the course of her life and impact the lives of her contemporaries. Sarah Murphy heard an angelic voice calling to her, calling her back to her roots. Go through the gates and help your people. Obedient to the revelation, Sarah returned home and began laboring on what was to become a safe haven for Georgia's children, a shelter from the storm, a place where children could thrive and grow, safe from their destructive beginnings. In 1919, a historical decision by the National Women's Home Missionary Society of the United Methodist Church in New York City assigned Ethel Harps to Georgia during the typhoid epidemic that left many children motherless and homeless. She became known as the Angel of Mercy. The extraordinary works of Sarah Murphy and Ethel Harps cemented their combined efforts. Their remarkable vision and potent legacy continues to change lives almost 100 years later. The mission of Murphy Harps is to provide life and hope for Georgia's most needy children. 
things are done so that they know what's going to happen next and they can depend on the people here and depend on what happens to them within this campus. This almost insurmountable challenge faces the workforce at Murphy Harps with each new young resident. On my worst day, if I know that at least one child knows that there's an adult that cares about them, then I've had a successful day. The staff has to pierce the veil of heartache, anguish, and sorrow and replace comfort, reassurance, and trust through many hours of counseling and guidance. Kids here are pretty resilient. They've been through a lot, um, too much really, um, in their young lives. And they've developed a sense about themselves where they're going to fight for themselves. They're going to, they are very outspoken. They are very um, articulate for such young children a lot of times and they just are fun to hang out with. I get a lot of kids that to me they're a little adult. Um, they ask me what the gas prices are, when the power bill is due, what the grocery prices are. And in two or three months I find them in the toy box digging out cars. I love seeing that because they became kids again. Through studying the individual child's case, they seek to find the most promising program for recovery. This magnificent sanctuary of excellence meets the challenge and enforces the tender law of love, care, and patience while allowing a child to learn favorable and useful skills of living a productive life. Private donations are the necessary source of funding at Murphy Harps for the children who are so desperately in need of this facility. Donor money makes sure that regardless of how state funding fluctuates, no matter what's going on outside of Murphy Harps, that we know we're providing the best services that we can. The success rate is extraordinarily excellent. 80% of the young people that walk through the gates of Murphy Harps are able to meet life with the necessary tools for facing the responsibilities of adulthood. Donor money helps ensure that I can keep really good people around these kids. It allows the therapist access to resources that they need to really meet the children's needs. It allows us to keep the number of therapists that we need to make sure that the children are getting the attention that they need and that they deserve. Just as the young founder, Sarah Murphy, obeyed the angelic voice that fateful night many years ago, we, as residents of Georgia, should follow and go through the gates to help our people. We must keep the gates thrown wide open for Georgia's children suffering mental and physical abuse. Facing the reality that we cannot save the entire world, we can be proud to be part of the honorable crusade of this marvelous sanctuary of excellence. Murphy Harps is changing the world, one child at a time. Close to 60%, probably 65% comes from the state. And the balance of it is getting less and less as they keep cutting back. But uh, our budget deficit this year is $2 million. What is your total budget? Total budget is about 7.8, I believe it is, somewhere in there. But we have to make up that deficit provide just the basic services that we're used to providing and every year we like another hundred thousand two hundred thousand depending on the state and uh, what their budget is their deficit is it's getting better hopefully but uh, you never know yes ma'am what are the ages of the children that you take in there six to eighteen
as young as six. Uh, we do get some, but uh, most of them are seven or eight years old and in teenagers. Yes, ma'am. What length of time that they stay? You said they, they, they become foster children and they go out. Do they go to foster homes? Okay. Yeah, they do. And uh, I know Paul and I were talking about that earlier. The average, and it fluctuates again, about eight months overall. So we, uh, we do a fairly good job to turn these children around in a quick time. I'm sorry? Well, overall, the whole program, all programs are close to 300 children in a year's time. In the residential treatment center, there's 60, 60 beds that are available for the children. Are there other programs out there like Northern Health? There are. Uh, they're getting less and less, to be honest with you. There was a place here in Atlanta called The Bridge last year. At this time, as a matter of fact, closes doors. It was a residential treatment, uh, not to the extent that we are. Uh, they, they were on a smaller scale, but they did close their doors. Uh, and there are others. Um, Calvary Children's Home? Would that be one? Do you know any no, I'm not familiar with that. But, you know, we used to be connected in one of Murphy Harp's Vashti. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that. But that's down in Thomasville, Georgia. We broke away from them, uh, <coughs> broke completely. Oh, 15, 16, 17 years ago, I believe it was. And a lot of the reason was that they were in Thomasville. We were up here. They were in the South Conference. We were in the North Conference. So anyhow, that we just serve the relationship there. Yes, ma'am. You have alumni that um, you know come back to the school or that you communicate with. Yes, we do. Uh, matter of fact, we employ some that never leave. A lot of them don't want to leave. It's the first time they've been secure, found a home, cared for, and had all their needs met. So a lot of times we employ them out on campus. That's what is your relationship with Methodist Children's Home and with foster care support, which we are involved in as a church? Mm -hmm. There really is not a relationship, so to speak, in that, of course, with the Children's Home, a lot of times they will get someone or get a child that needs our help. And we in turn find out that we get a child that doesn't necessarily need to be where they are with us. And they swap back and forth. But uh, our foster care is completely independent. It is a department that's set up to place our children in the end product as they leave campus. So the are these foster families that you have interviewed? Yes. And I'm confused how long the program usually is for a child at school, not how long they're in foster. Um, at, at, at your uh, campus? Three years. Is it eight months on your Eight campus? months on the average. It can be two years, two and a half years. Just depends on severity okay. of the abuse. And it does fluctuate because of that. Because okay. we never know exactly children that we're going to get and what kind of abuse. And how long they'll be in foster care depends upon ages. Absolutely. Okay. Yes, sir. Yeshua Chapel, do you have a faith part of this? We are faith-based. There's no doubt about that. And, but we don't have, we do have a part-time minister uh, who's paid by a donor. 
And the thing about our chapel and religion is, of course, we receive money from the state, and we have to be very cautious. But we find that we don't have to say anything. These children automatically want to be part of the program. We've had children on that when they get ready to leave, say, you know, if you were not faith-based, it wasn't for the religious part of your program, which we do have. So I don't think I could have made it. So it's a big part. And we do have uh, services. <clears throat> children are allowed when they can be allowed to leave campus, supervised naturally, to go to a church in Cedartown, any church they want to go to. So it's something that you have to be very careful about and something that we don't, we don't have to push it. <coughs> they automatically feel it and know what we're all about. Yes, sir. What do you do for day-to-day school for the children? We have school on campus. Um, everything that you would, uh, that a child needs when they're growing up, we provide. Schooling, doctors, clothing, housing, food, everything is right there on campus. Even though we do have some children, a few, that go to school, high school, in Cedartown, to get to that point. So it's a little bit different. Yes, ma'am. Do the foster parents uh, receive some sort of instructions or training from you that is specific to the problem that they're Child oh, yeah. They sure do because that's, that's like I said, the process of it all is to monitor and evaluate when they go into foster care, when they leave the campus, is to work with a foster parent in the foster mm -hmm. home. So no, we're, we're constantly in touch and we know who they are and the environment and what's going on before we even begin to start placing a child in a home. It's that critical because they can personally undo what we try to do. <coughs> we do have some that have to come back and go through the program again. How many acres do you have now? We got a hundred, about 150 acres. And we do have, uh, I think it was close <coughs> to 100 acres up in the pocket. If anybody knows anything about Rome and the mountains up there that was donated to us. It used to be a Boy Scout camp. We haven't developed it for a lot of reasons have the money to develop it. So, uh, so we do have a, most of everything is on the front side of the campus. Uh, so with 150 acres we've got a lot of room to grow, a lot of pasture land. You've got a two million dollar deficit. You have a deficit last year? Deficit every year. <laughs> At one point, and I wasn't there, uh, they didn't have any deficits. They were getting money from the state, and the state was doing fine. Everybody was doing fine. It's like everybody else. All of a sudden, here we are. And uh, we don't, we're not getting the money we used to get. So we have to raise it. it wouldn't, I wouldn't mind if we raised all of it, 100% of it. And did what we wanted to do. Okay? How much do to do you it. actually get from the North Georgia Conference? We used to get, I say used to, because now we have a special day of giving, which they dropped the giving of the conference. The last figure I saw was close to $60,000.